0: Hello and welcome back to the Inquisitor podcast with me, Marcus Kauke. Today, my guest is Rebecca Tasatano. She runs Project Kickass. She builds community as a service, and in fact, uh, Rebecca and I work quite closely together because we're part of an ecosystem that we're trying to build together. So, Rebecca, welcome.
1: Thanks for having me on. I really love this podcast, so it's a pleasure to be on it.
0: It's a delight to have you on. Fantastic. Okay. Well, would you mind uh, telling us some you know, about 60 seconds, your history and how you got here?
1: Sure. I'm going to start way back at the beginning. When I was around five, my parents decided to have a business. It kind of grew organically and it's an off the wall business. They decided to have a business doing birthday parties and being clowns at birthday parties. And because I was five, they decided to bring me along and dress me up like a little clown. So from the age of five to 18, I was put into situations where it was my job to have a bunch of strangers that I didn't know form into a circle, start doing the chicken dance and ultimately have a good time, leaving a good impression (laughs) of having a party so that's how I grew up <laughs> that's, that's the start of so you, all of this
0: you, you literally were the monkey instead of the organ grinder I really was <laughs> fabulous what an outstanding start I know oh, wow I didn't know that about you all oh, right okay 13 years of clowning at uh, kids parties what was your best lesson
1: I think that adults have been trained to not want to have fun anymore. Is <laughs> really what I got being a kid in that situation, because I, it was really easy to get the kids to have a good time. And then it was increasingly more difficult to have the adults join in. But once the adults allowed themselves to join in, they had an amazing time. But there's like this social barrier to to having fun like you did when you were a kid.
0: Really, really interesting. Okay. So what did play teach you about business?
1: Ooh, great question. I think that the ultimate is to be able to walk into a room, do what you do, leave, get paid for it and have a great time. And I think that the biggest thing that I learned is that it's just the amount of time that you've spent doing something that makes you an expert. So every party that you walk into, it's brand new. People don't know you, but you have your agenda. You know what you're going to do. You know, the songs you're going to play, you know, like kind of your tips and tricks for making that party get started. So just like in business, every client is new to you, but you build on your years of experience going through and doing the same thing over and over again, knowing what has delighted people in the past and pulling from your bag of tricks to delight in the moment.
0: Okay. So how did that then translate after the age of 18 into your values around the customer, customer experience, customer service?
1: Definitely. So throughout growing up, I found opportunities to perform. I found opportunities to do theater. I found opportunities to build communities by being, they called it a resident advisor. I'm not sure what it would be called in the UK, but you are in college and you're in a dorm. Everybody's living in the same building and every floor has kind of like a head person that's in charge of making sure that that floor is okay. You were the prefect. Yes, I was the prefect and hopefully, I mean, like the main core job of the prefect is to be like the downer and to be like the, Hey, it's like eight o'clock. Everyone needs to stop having fun. But if you do it right, you can build a little community on your floor of people that are brand new to this space, but now have lifelong friends that they can carry throughout the rest of their journey. So that's one element. And fast forward to today. Before the pandemic started, my partner Eric Steves and I started our business, Project Kick Ass, which is a story in and of itself. Because if anyone knows Eric Steves, you know that he just is a wealth of information, a lot like you, Marcus. So, what he did was Eric, fabulous. He is fantastic. Everyone look up Eric Steves. I'm biased, but he's fantastic. So he wrote at the top of a piece of paper, project kick-ass because we wanted to start a business together. And then he proceeded to fill the whole front and back of that piece of paper with exact step-by-step instructions on how to get an LLC, how to start a bank account. And he just had all of this in his brain. and He just jumped it out on a piece of paper and I was floored by that. So we did that at the beginning of the pandemic. Then the pandemic happened. We had to shift gears. So we became a virtual events company. And every event that I did I felt like the energy was so great at the end of the event, but there was nothing that we could do with it now. Like everybody wanted more of that. Everyone wanted the next event, but what do you do in the meantime? So now- What do you mean they wanted more of that? Ooh, if you do an event right, right? As a clown or as a virtual event host, at the end of the event, everybody is happy. Everybody feels this sense of like increased energy, increased purpose- increased connection, or they just had a great time. If you do a party well, at the end of the party, everyone wants it to keep going. That's the ultimate. And so in today's day and age, we can use the internet to keep that momentum going between events in a way that we weren't able to before. So there's an asynchronous component. There's like a written component or a another component to those events. So we started now doing community as a service to capitalize on the energy that we were getting from those events, because it's a cycle. It's not just your one event and now you're done. It's a quarterly event or an event once a month and keeping that cycle going and keeping these people engaged. And the more that you see people and the more that you interact with those people, they become your tribe and they become your community.
0: You listen to someone like Martin Lindstrom. Martin's book Small Data is really insightful because he spends about, I think it's 176 days a year living in other people's homes, observing how they interact with products that his clients. Uh, and in fact, when he was 11, he was uh, being sued by Lego uh, because he built mini Lego Land in his garden, and his 100. 32nd and 133rd customer with the lawyers from Legoland. They got smart and they hired him instead. And so he's made his living observing how people engage with their products and what they really do and what they love about it. And observing their actions and seeing whether they're congruent with their words. Now, what's been really fascinating about that is the snippets, the throwaway conversation the nuance is what really matters and i think we've been seduced into being confused by big data and i was at a dinner a couple of years ago with the head of big data for forrester and uh, he was presenting and he said only 6% of large tech companies are using big data well the rest non-existent and for everyone else it's just drivel so i think what's happening is there is a more uh, there is a shift towards a more human, engagement-led kind of marketing. But old leadership in tech is struggling to let go of that. But you look at old money businesses that have survived 50, 100, 150, 200 years. They've stayed close to their customers if they've been smart. They've created a community. They, They put back. People aspire to work there. So what are the different applications of community, first of all? So then uh, we can t- get the the avaricious KPI-led uh, listeners uh, to, uh, get, uh, excited first. So how, how can they use this and what outcomes can they expect?
1: Well, I'm going to piggyback off of what you were saying for just a second, because I think it also applies here. We didn't have the ability to directly know what our customers were saying. 10 years ago in the internet. We are only now saying, oh, we could listen to our, we could do listening. We could, we could invest in keywords. We could see what they're saying when they search for something. That's not the whole story. That's not the whole picture. It's just what was possible 10 years ago. Now what's possible is to create an environment where people, your customers show up and your people, your people interact with one another and they have real conversations about the real great things and the real not great things about their experience. Because I think what is hard to remember is that some of the customers that are complaining the most about your product are the people that actually care the most about your product. And if you can gather their specific language that they use to praise or to put down what you're putting out into the world... You can use that language indefinitely to both make what you're doing better and to message to other people.
0: The research that Salesforce released at the beginning of 2021 says that if you speak to your unhappy customers, you have a 600% faster product development cycle than if you speak to average or even excited customers. You have to go, go looking for the bad news.
1: And why not own all of that? Why not create container for the people that are the most excited about your product that show up every day and, and fight for your product and invite other people to use your product or to use your you know your service and have all of them in one place and let them make connections with each other and brainstorm together on building something different or using your product in a different way. In this way you have a direct relationship with your customers as opposed to kind of, this is is kind of inarticulate, but spying on them using social listening and using all of these other tools. You could invite them into a place where they have those conversations right in front of you and where you encourage them to have those conversations and connect.
0: Because it's really interesting, given the veracity of, Information on social media, if you're following the influencers, how much of that is really them? How much of it is someone else's opinion and how much of it is bots?
1: 100 percent. And as deep fakes become more into the mainstream, I mean you look at some countries have created entirely fake influencers that have entirely fake they look like real people, but they're entirely AI that are doing just as well on, or better on Instagram than a real person. So,
0: And they don't want equity.
1: Right. They don't need to get paid. They'll work day in and day out.
0: This, again, I think is really interesting because it strikes me with the noise from the bots and the spam and the cold calls and the content and the selfish marketing and all of that. What buyers really want is someone who understands, who gives a damn, who's got their back. and that they can get intimate with where there's you know there's a, a real closeness it feels like you're on the same team who does that really well in the community space
1: well i think that this is all still evolving the brand that pops to mind is salesforce because i've had a very like intimate experience with salesforce because i came in as an outsider took their trailblazer took their trails, did their badges, like skilled up in Salesforce to get a career in Salesforce. I went through that whole journey and they have a community that spans the entire globe, but especially the United States of people that are willing to help along the way. So they were really the trailblazers in community. So I have to give them a shout out. But I think that we're seeing all sorts of communities, both big and small pop up and do a really good job here in this space. And I think that there's an opportunity for us to do even more and better because at the end of the day, we all want to be listened to. And when we really care about a product, we just want to have some sort of direct way to talk about that product and say, Hey, I really like what you're doing here. Could you please just change this one button? Because it drives me crazy. Your pop-ups drive me crazy. Like, Like where can we, where can we actually talk to somebody and like feel heard about that. And all companies want is to know that as well, right? So it seems like it's, it's something that is possible right now in this moment that wasn't possible before, but that we're not giving enough attention to.
0: So what are the questions we should be asking in that case? Because in my experience, if you ask better questions, you get better answers. So what are the questions people should be asking, but they're not?
1: people should be looking at their power users and saying, why are these people successful and what do they love? I know that I've been talking a lot about what people don't love, but I really think the first step is to go to the people who have drunk the Kool-Aid, who know that they love what you're doing, and they would use it all day. They would tell all of their friends about it. That's the first group to talk to because you want to replicate that. You want to clone those people. You want to have many, many people that are that are as excited as those people. And if you give them an opportunity within a community to create their own small step-by-step, but their own events or their own show and tell about how they've used your SaaS product to build an empire, people love to showcase what they've done. And if you give people an opportunity to connect with other people who have found success with the product that you just bought, That's beautiful too. I think that we need more opportunities for power users to have a seat at the table and to be messaging to potential customers and to be showing people, this is how I did this with this product. Don't you want to see that these same results?
0: Okay. And presumably you're going to reach out to your detractors at the same time. So How do you bring those two together and build common ground?
1: Oh, interesting. I'm not sure, I haven't thought about this particular question, but I'm not sure that it's necessary to necessarily bring them together. But I am just now thinking that it's a great opportunity if somebody has, has had a bad experience with your product, joining them with a super user of your product that has had a great experience with their product, Maybe it just wasn't intuitive to them to learn how to use it in that way. I mean, there could be opportunities for mentorship or opportunities for templating the experience and showing people it is possible to have success. This is how I did it.
0: I see in the top and middle of the funnel, a huge amount of effort is put to get people from the total addressable market into your marketing platform. So you can scream at them, we're here. Pay attention to us. And you spend more marketing dollars and more effort to try and shove them onto your selling platform where you scream at them, this is what we do. Look at our demo features functionality. And by that point, you probably expended about 97 to 99% of the money that you would spend on acquiring uh, that particular prospect. And you're now burning through thousands of leads, thousands of dollars worth of data, thousands of dollars worth of parallel dialing in order to drive them away from you because you pushed at the wrong time or they just feel pressurized. Or worse, you spent all that money to drive them into the arms of your competition, which is what happens an awful lot. So within community... What can you do to achieve the same outcome, which is you want to increase your understanding of your customer in order to improve your results? Ultimately, that's the outcome for marketing, for sales, for community. What is it you have to do in community to be able to make that a viable outcome that everyone works towards?
1: Yes. So I think that in community, you have the opportunity to have more information and to speak to people directly. So it doesn't have to be this blind thing where we are looking at a a ICP, like we're looking at a person that we want to acquire and we're saying, okay, they're 40, they're female, they shop at Target. So I assume this about them. No, they're right there in your community. You can watch the conversations that they're having. You can know actually in their own words, what they're saying. I think that An interesting part about building a community on a platform that you own is that you can segment out the experience. So it doesn't just have to be for your current customers. It can be for your prospects. You can add your prospects to a community. This is a new GTM motion. So it doesn't have to just be for bottom of the funnel. It can be for top of the funnel. If you send somebody an email and say, hey, it seems like you're interested in our product, would you like to join a community of people that are using it well and learn more about it before you buy? You could um, have people enter your community at the top of the funnel and unlock sections of your community as they move through the funnel or as they move through the process.
0: Isn't that much closer to how buyers want to buy? Because they go through the passive looking uh, stage, which is where they're learning how. So why wouldn't you want to be in a community of people who are using this successfully? Ask your questions this also then feeds into the other really important and very simple strategy. Focus on your medium-term pipe. And in six to nine months, the short-term pipeline problems are taken care of as long as you keep maintaining that. And it gives more resilience to the, uh, the pipeline as well, because you're spending time talking to these people, listening to them, coming back with ideas and insights and getting closer. So
1: And there's also an opportunity for them to invite people into the community as well. If they're finding value from learning about your product passively, which I've been doing a lot of researching about how we learn recently. And it seems like something that's popping up for me is that we learn by watching more than we learn by doing. If you watch an experienced person do something, that is the best way to learn versus just jumping right in. And anecdotally, it feels that feels. Right to me. When I start using a new SaaS product, I'm overwhelmed. I feel very competent with technology, but I don't know the way that everything's set up and I don't know how things work in this platform. But if I can watch people that are doing it well and watch them and replicate their success or temp- use their templates for success, then I can start to feel like this is possible for me. Another thing with the sales process is that frequently we're talking about SDRs and AEs and people. That are your customers are getting passed from person to person to person. Maybe I really bonded with your SDR and maybe I want them to lead me through the whole process, but now it's a new face, it's a new person, it's a new relationship. In a community, you have the opportunity to tag team or to see what's working well as somebody is moving through the pipeline. And you have the opportunity for people to be part of the experience and to co collaborate with you in building that experience and to do research and do experiments to see what works and what doesn't work for particular types of customers.
0: Interesting. Okay. So what are the qualities required of a community manager?
1: I think that a community manager really needs to be a connector and be a person that is interested in other people. Empathy is a huge skill in a community manager and also energy and being willing to be a scientist and see what works and what doesn't work. Because you're kind of feeding your energy into a community to connect a small group of people together to find the engine of your community so that your and en- your engine of your community can start to run without you. And we're talking about lots of different types of communities. There are different types of communities for different things. But I think that that core element Holds true. If you can find some small groups of people that bond together and that would choose to spend time in your community versus in somebody else's community or on a social media platform, if they can find belonging in your community, then they're going to start to contribute to your community in ways that you wouldn't even be able to see.
0: I've noticed in the last couple of months since we've set up the red thread. The red thread is an ecosystem that Rebecca and I are part of. And since I've done that. I've noticed my consumption of LinkedIn has dropped. My Facebook consumption has disappeared completely and I'm spending a lot of time on the Slack channels and on the WhatsApp groups. So that's interesting because there what I'm getting is far more engagement and I'm able to test my ideas and put questions out there. I can ask for help in 20 minutes. I can get a dozen responses now. For me, what that's doing is it's giving me the capability of an enterprise whilst it's me and my wife. And that's really very exciting because it also seems to fit with this more customer centric human uh, human, uh, side to developing those relationships. Now, we're going to see an awful lot of pushback, no doubt, from the technologies. How best can the two work together? Uh, Because I don't think it's an either or, I think it's a both, it's an and. So how do we make sure that the technology, the data, and the community side of things are all running smoothly and serving the needs of the members?
1: I think that everybody has something that they want to get out of a community. The community members maybe want to feel a sense of belonging, or they want to feel like they are supported in a journey of transformation. Even if the journey of transformation is they weren't your customer, now they're your customer, now they're your successful customer, now they're your successful customer that's bringing other customers to you. They want to be supported in a journey of transformation. The technology companies and the the owners of the communities want things too. The owners of the communities want certain KPIs or certain engagement or certain net promoter scores. The technologies also want things. They want Data, they want attention, they want eyeballs on the platform, they want, everybody wants something different. So maybe we can collaborate on this answer. Are there ways that these Venn diagrams intersect? And are there more humane ways rather than just extracting people's data to like find ways to make them feel like this is a virtual? gathering space for them that they want to spend time in and therefore everybody's goals are being met.
0: Okay so in order to create that kind of excitement that level of engagement the value that will draw people back what are the conditions that need to exist and what kind of I'm looking for a word other than activities or events but you know what 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 qualities need to be presented to the uh, or made available to them, and what do you need to withhold? That's another really interesting question. What do you need to withhold from them so they then make that happen?
1: Well, why do human beings need communities? Because we've been in communities. We're talking about communities because of the technology, but we've been in communities our entire lives. And as human beings, we've been in communities our entire lives. P- humans like to discuss stuff in groups.
0: It's what put us to the top of the food chain.
1: Say that again? It's what put us to the top of the food
0: chain. I agree, our ability to collaborate. Well, I think it's cooperate. Because I think most people, when they talk about collaborate, it's arm's length and there's not a lot of trust. You're always looking for what they're going to do wrong. Whereas if you're cooperating, genuinely cooperating, you're working towards common purpose. You don't have your ego. That's not at play. More important things are.
1: Right. If we want to, everyone uses a mammoth. I'm not sure that we ever actually interacted with mammoths. But if we all want to hunt a woolly mammoth together, at the end of the day, we're going to get that woolly mammoth together. That's our incentive to work together. But we're going to be able to split that bounty equally in a way that we, we wouldn't be able to do as individuals.
0: Well, some of the archaeological evidence suggests that what uh, our ancestors did was get together and then drive mammoth herds off cliffs. Um, Wow. Yeah, they'd kill off the whole herd for whatever they needed. So we've been incredibly wasteful right from day one. Okay. (laughs) That sounds Um, like
1: human beings. Oh, I want to go back to your question, though. Human beings since the beginning of time, I think, have been inducting people into communities with live events right? Like tribal singing and dancing or the conference that's really important to go to, Zoom now. Humans pass on their information asynchronously. So you write on a tablet or you write on a Slack channel. These types of things are encoded into our brains. So are there ways that we can think about how we've always interacted in community? What is like essential to us and to our brains for that feeling of connection and safety and stability? that we can tap into in our virtual communities to awaken that part of our brains that needs that that tribal connection.
0: Well, that, that social interaction is important as social primates and contribution is important as social primates. So it just seems to make sense to me to tap into something we're already hardwired to do and to do well, but it still requires... That there are clear boundaries and um, that people buy into something in common that they hold more sacred than their own ego,
1: or that you play to the ego, right? Because that there's hierarchy that's inbuilt into our brain, also, or there's status. Like people will do a lot for for status within a community as well. So, what are the rules of engagement? How do what within your community? How do people? gain social status how do people integrate in how do they find belonging what s- sorts of activities are rewarded here
0: and i think what's important there as well what type of belonging do they want because not everyone will want the same thing some don't want the spotlight i couldn't give a damn whether or not i'm gamified i'm more interested in other things and you know this kind of conversation is what i want from my communities me too more than anything else, because that's where the best ideas come from. I've had two conversations in a row, both of which have resulted in fantastic opportunities, pipeline, and 11 introductions. Now, that's not bad uh, for having a chat with people with like minds. Now, if you can amplify that. Sorry, go ahead.
1: I agree. I think of us all as individual neurons in a collective brain. And if we, at... As- individual brains can connect with one another, we can transfer information and distribute that even globally throughout a network. So if you are able to take, they always say that, I've heard it said that you're the average of the five people that you spend the most time around. Not Mm -hmm. sure if that's true or not, but like you can choose to surround yourself in a community with people that are already exhibiting the behaviors you want to exhibit or already have the opportunity you want to have, or have a similar point of view or have similar goals. All these communities are flexible. There's so many different types of them, but thinking about surrounding yourself with people that are on a like-minded journey to your own, where could you get with those people that you couldn't get before? And they don't have to be physically next to you anymore. They can be anywhere in the world. They just have to show up to your community and they have to find incentive to show up again and again and again until it's habit.
0: This brings to mind the William James quote, what holds attention determines action. Um, now, in there's, there's a lovely quote. I can't remember what it was from. It was a very short uh, book. It was about 24 pages, but this uh, quote came out of there. And if someone can give me the reference, I'd love to be able to attribute it properly. And so people will do anything for those who encourage their dreams, justify their failures, allay their fears, confirm their suspicions, and help them throw rocks at their enemies. And the syntax of how to do this is to validate, first of all, which is all of the above, and then fascinate. Don't try and correct and convince. And I think this is where a lot of people go wrong. Uh, when they try and put community together because they treat it in the same way that they did with old media as a broadcast tool.
1: Exactly. This is not just a broadcast tool. It's not just a one-to-many platform. It's one-to-one. It's many-to-many. There's the big group of your entire community. There's the smaller groups of three to 12 people that bond together, that find purpose together. And then there are the one-to-one connections. And those are the three levels of community that you need to be thinking of when you're building a thriving community, like a thriving um, ecosystem of of people. Can they find connection one-to-one? Can they find connection in groups of three to 12? Can they find connection as a whole? And It's not, like you said, it's not just a one-to-many broadcasting system. It's an opportunity for you to connect with the people that you're trying to serve and for them to create connections and eventually in mature communities, for them to deliver things right back to you, deliver your next marketing campaign, deliver a video, deliver a use case because they're bought in and because their sense of belonging is that strong.
0: What I've found really interesting is, over the years, um, instead of trying to worry about my, fo- uh, my quota or my reward, learning to set the play up so someone else scores is a really interesting shift. And within community, certainly that's what I'm finding the most valuable community members who make the greatest contribution are the ones who have that attitude. So they have an infinite mindset. The pie is there to be made bigger. It's not to be, you know, to, to cut up and uh, divided. You make the pie bigger. You keep the game going. It's not trying to win. It's trying to help everybody win. And this again is part of our superpowers uh, set as people as human beings. But I think we've forgotten it because all the emphasis has historically for the last couple of hundred years been around how much money can we make? What are the metrics? What are the numbers? And whilst the data is really important, the amount of data we're collecting and not using we have got no idea what to do with it because actually most of it isn't relevant until we've had a look at the small data, listen to the customer. Then that stuff starts to make sense.
1: Then you can scale that data there's so many people yeah. that are scraping data, keeping it somewhere, there are duplicates, it's it's not clean, it's not actionable, it's not relevant and if they were forced to pull a report from it, it would not give them the information that they needed. So data is great, but data is only as good as it is actionable. And so you really need to zoom in on that that smaller picture like you're saying in order to understand what is actionable and then scale up your your data operation from there?
0: I think think there's a syntax. The first thing you have to do is look at your data and see what it's telling you, but also what the gaps are, because those gaps could be really material uh, in terms of informing you who your customer really is and who they aren't, where your opportunities lie. The next is to discern what your options are from that data, because at some point, you're going to have to make a big three to five big bets Uh, you know, in, in order to deliver your strategy. And that strategy has to deliver the milestone outcomes within six months. Otherwise, the rest of the organization will lose faith in it very quickly. So again, if you're trying to create change and transformation, if you're delivering training, why are you not using community as a tool in order to get close to the people who you're trying to impact and transform meaningfully and sustainably? And once you've done that, then what you have to do is put the uh, the structure and the governance and the frameworks in place. So designing uh, those systems and processes is really important because that then gives you the platform that allows you to scale. And that's where delivery comes in. And that's the biggest opportunity for cross and upsell. And we know that profit from that type of expansion sale is 68 times higher in SaaS than it is uh, for new business. For the less work, shorter sales cycle, lower cost of acquisition, and it's 68 times more profitable. Why would you choose to do anything else? Because people don't do that at all.
1: If you're seeking ARR, if you're seeking someone to continue to invest and reinvest and to scale with the solution that you have, you're thinking about it in like a 30 plus year relationship with this person. So why not build a relationship with them where you can ask them directly or where you can have them contribute to what it is that you're building, where you can check in with them regularly. I think that we are underestimating the tools that we have now to communicate directly with the people that we've been trying to guess about for so many years. And I think that that is going to get increasingly more accessible and and that the data that we're going to be able to get and the the one-to-one connections we're gonna be able to have at scale is just going to increase as the technology increases over time.
0: Well, I think, what it's also going to give us is a lot of very valuable social proof because if you if you're smart about this you'll work on maybe a 2 to 3 year time frame for an enterprise and you'll be building the community in parallel there'll be webinars events in person events symposiums uh, you'll be producing content white papers use cases, all that kind of stuff, and drip feeding this, drawing these people in. So when they're ready, because you know where they are in their, bio, uh, their life cycle, the natural time for them to change. I mean, if you've just heard that someone's just signed a three-year deal, start now. Just chalk it up to the experience that you were outsold the last time and spend the next three years just gently nudging the competition out or making you so valuable that the competition needs you. It it just strikes me that we put so much effort into trying to be the only one and the winner instead of just trying to find a way for everybody to get a piece of the pie.
1: And that's the other piece too. And I think that you could speak to this even more than I could, but the idea of ecosystems, the idea of companies forming together and becoming stronger as a community of businesses and realizing this is what we want to deliver. This is what you want to deliver. We have the same customers. Why not put them in a community and our same customers can benefit from using all of our services and all of our services can uh, connect and have interoperability. This is going to create a stronger empire long-term than any of us could achieve individually. I, I, again, think that we're thinking about reality 10 years ago, instead of realizing that things are changing very, very quickly and the tools that we have now to create this are are right at our fingertips.
0: Again, I wish I could remember who to attribute the quote to, but uh, essentially most of the generals are uh, preparing to fight the last war instead of the next one. And I'm seeing that an awful lot at the moment. And part of that is because the people who are now retiring, the people who are going into the investment funds... They've become independently wealthy, and they're now going to be propagating a lot of those old ways. So what I'm really uh, very interested in is, are there any funds, VCs or private equity, that are investing very heavily uh, and supporting the growth of community within their investment portfolio?
1: That's a great question, one that I don't know the answer to. But I know that Sangram Barhe coined the term product-led growth. And right now, if you look at the work that he's currently doing, it's all focused on communities. And I think that the term that just pops into mind is community-led growth. How can your community lead the growth that you're seeking?
0: Very, very interesting. Because when I hear people talk about PLG, product-led growth, uh, more often than not, they're still trying to accrue lots and lots of data. um, And... Um, it feels very selfish. It's not about the customer. It's how can we improve the product so we can sell more of it instead of how can we improve the product so the customer's outcomes get met. And as a byproduct of that, we sell more. And customers feel it. We, we pick up on it, and quite rightly so, because for the last 3 billion years, our nervous system uh, has been hardwired to keep us alive. Why would you fight it? I think one of the most important skills anyone can learn at the moment is how to calibrate what their gut is telling them and understand whether it's an early warning or it's excitement. Because most people I don't think can really tell the difference.
1: I would agree. I think that there is, uh, I've been researching the brain and there's the right and the left hemisphere of the brain. And this keeps coming up for me that the right hemisphere of the brain doesn't have that verbal processing. So the right hemisphere of the brain can't articulate What is going on there? The left hemisphere is the one that's doing that. So I think that there's a lot more going on in our brains than just like the left hemisphere logic oriented stuff. There's also whole other parts of our brains that are just as useful, but that we aren't giving as much attention to.
0: Again, most of these things are blunt instruments on their own. It's like IQ tests that just gives you a sliver. So The important thing, and this is the best argument you can possibly have for diversity and inclusion, is that you end up with much better solutions if you've got lots of eyes with different perspectives, different points of view, different backgrounds, different disciplines and skills uh, pointed at the same problem. And again, the, the, the idea of companies or individual sellers creating their own little ecosystems, it's not like we haven't been doing it for years. but I think we have to shift our thinking and it's a uh, get away from uh, we're turning up to see if we can sell something. And you hear this refrain often, oh, networking doesn't work. Well, it doesn't work for you. Reason, probably because you're selfish, people can smell it a mile off and you're not patient because you've never paid any attention to anyone else except yourself. When you do it the opposite, in time you end up getting a steady stream of business. I haven't prospected cold since 2004 and I'm lazy and I want to make the most amount of profit. But anyway, enough about me rattling on. Tell me this, um, where do you think community is going in future?
1: So the next evolution of the internet is called Web3 and it's built on the blockchain. Right now, all of the internet that we Do is Web 2. They've coined the term Web 3 to talk about this next iteration. And we're going to own all of the digital assets that we have. We're going to be able to own the communities that we build in a way that we weren't before. But before we even get to Web 3, I think that we've in the last 10 years become very comfortable building on Facebook, very comfortable building on LinkedIn, very comfortable building on these platforms that have algorithms that can get our message out to multiple people. But we are just now starting to see people fraction off of those platforms and start to build their own thing. If you think about the trade show that you go to or the conference that happens every year or the big stars in your community, we have the ability now to build that ourselves, to have our own media empires, to have our own communities that are bringing the people in that we want to see be the stars of the show or have the vision for where we're going. And so we have this ability now to build the communities that we want to see for our business, for our personal lives in a way that we didn't before. So I don't think that building on Facebook or Instagram or LinkedIn is as important as finding who your current audience is, who your current customers are, who your current email list is and putting them all in one place that you control and building culture there that could even outlast you, but could definitely get you to where you want to go in the next five or 10 years.
0: So are you seeing the big social platforms like Facebook and Instagram as a feeder funnel to take them off those proprietary platforms and then bring them onto your own?
1: Yes, I see them as ways to utilize the algorithm to find like-minded people. And then I think as soon as possible, you should move them from that platform to a place that you own. Traditionally, the the advice has been get them on an email list because then you're in their inbox. Right now, my email inbox is inundated with people that don't know me, that are trying to talk to me or that I signed up for an email at one point. I mean, email marketing is great. I'm not trying to say anything bad about email marketing, but there's the next evolution of that is communities. Instead of messaging, broadcasting one message and hoping that it sticks with 10% of the people that it lands with, you can actually have real conversations with people, watch the conversations that they're having organically and have a real idea of who lives in your community, what's important to them and what you can do to get them to where they want to go To Create that long term loyalty?
0: Well, it sounds to me like the nirvana for marketers generally is marketing certainty. What you're looking for is certainty that you know where you're placing your bets uh, is going to yield an outcome. And you can do so consistently and reliably because then that drives the rest of the machine. And in order to do that, you have to understand your customer because you can't turn up and be where they are if you're just shouting at them. So what shift in behavior needs to occur at a management level in order to encourage the salespeople to use community effectively?
1: There needs to be at the the management level or at the C-suite level, an understanding that community is the future and that the sooner you start building your community, the more value it will accrue, like a 401k or anything else. There's an exponential curve that happens when you have found um, community market fit. When you've found those people that really jive with your community, then it can start to take off and it can start to build value. But that won't happen in the first year the way that it will in year five or in year 10. And so I think that managers need to see community and see the customers as we need to be able to reach out to those people and have the empathy that it takes to see them as human beings and to communicate with them as human beings and to realize that we can now ask them questions. We can earn their trust and they can tell us directly what they want us to know. And the people that really like what you're doing, they want to tell you all of the information that you want to get from them. There just hasn't been a facilitated channel for that. And so to build a place where there's trust and there's that facilitated channel could benefit everybody, not just the customers, not just the managers, the whole whole company.
0: Wonderful example of uh, a company using community really intelligently is Specsavers. So they were trying to recruit an ophthalmologist in Denmark. Turns out there are only 1,200 in the country. And they went through this exercise and they realized the next time they had to recruit, they'd have to do the same thing. So they ended up building a platform, uh, which is essentially a community where they advertise jobs for the entire industry uh, and related suppliers and so on. Uh, They provide information about how to run an optometrist business, the latest scientific developments, all that kind of stuff. And the net result is that whenever they want to um, place a job. They've already got all 1,200 there. And it's up to them. Now, the, the beauty is they're getting all this feedback, this intelligence that, that off the back of it. Now, that's just to solve a recruitment problem. But then the spinoff of that is all the, uh, the branding that's associated with it, because this is a central source of record information for the entire industry. And all their branding is getting exposure every single time people go on that useful resource. How do you stop Finance director or the CFO buggering it up. They start saying, Oh, well, you know, we're not going to spend any more on this, or, um, well, it needs to yield more money. Can you, uh, you know, ask them? And you start getting pressure to try and sell to the community.
1: I think we need to set expectations around how long it will take for the community to mature and what the North Star guiding metric is. You can pick maybe 3 but like what's the one that we're really trying to get to and throughout that course of time we'll be able to iterate to to achieve more and more reliable results there but again for the finance people to see it as an investment to see it as an investment just like a financial investment that will yield exponential returns if given the space to grow and we can check in and we can see, are we meeting this North Star metric? What are we seeing? Is it going up? Is it going down? To check in throughout the process, but to set expectations that this is something that we're doing for the long haul. We need to think about this on at least like a five year timeline with check-ins along the way, but to say, what is it that we're ultimately trying to get from this? And also not necessarily for the finance people, but to be able to co-collaborate and to help the community to create what it wants to become. In your example with the ophthalmologists, nobody set out to become the the ultimate ophthalmologist place to interact with other peers or to become the leader of the industry. That just organically happened because those people, that was what was important to those people. There are Are long term opportunities that we won't even be able to see at the beginning that will become apparent because you'll start to absorb your competitors' clients. You'll start to absorb other people that are interested in the thing that they can only find in your community. And that's going to evolve over time. So, as
0: the company that is behind a community, what type of interaction? do you ideally want from all the different parts of your business? It's not just sales who should be interacting, I think.
1: I think so too. I think that we should think about, you know, sales, marketing, and customer success can all benefit from the voices of the customer, which is the community. If you're building a community for your customers, maybe you're building a community for something else. But anybody that could benefit from direct knowledge about the voice of the customer could Benefit what, like, from, lead,
0: like leadership, management, product, operations.
1: Especially <laughs> leadership because the leadership has the ability to speak directly to the, the long-term vision. And to, when you use the voice of leadership in the community, we can align the community around leadership's vision and leadership's goals and leadership's long-term direction and start to gather people in the community that see the world the way that those that person sees the world. Whoever is messaging to the community is kind of the person who is shaping it. So it's really important to get buy-in and hopefully participation from people that are higher up in the in the organization as well.
0: But it needs to be under adult supervision, I guess.
1: Yeah, there has to be boundaries. There has to be guidelines and there has to be nobody wants to feel like they are being used in any way there's trust that builds up in a good community so if you are constantly you know like trying to make them take surveys or trying to sell to them if it's not a a generous cycle where they're getting stuff from you and they're giving stuff back to you it can be really easy to break that trust early on if you're trying to shake your community down for for profits early on rather than letting that Value accrue over time, and letting that value be given to you over time.
0: Interestingly enough, the biggest points of resistance. I interviewed Erica Cool, who set up the Salesforce community, and she had five years of internal resistance constantly. Then all of a sudden, it really took off, and um, yeah, miraculously, it's you know the, the bee's knees now. But that internal resistance, and that long-term vision that really requires someone with either an enormous amount of resilience and a very thick skin and and, uh, stubborn uh, like Erica, or you need real sponsorship by someone who's got a bit of a vision. So to wrap up then, in terms of selling this whole idea of community, what are the functions within the business that you need to Uh, get on side for executive sponsorship to give this a fighting chance of surviving uh, the three to five years you need to start really seeing the results?
1: Well, we need to decide what are we trying to get from the community? One thing, what are we trying to get from the community? Are we trying to figure out the NPS score and get other people that are rising to that score and, and grow that particular subset of people, what are we trying to do with the community from the get-go? Set expectations around how long it might take to really realize the value of the community and know that this is the future of the internet and this is the future of business. And in the same way that you're going to see that you saw people have a resistance to social media and continue to see people have a resistance to social media and not realize the benefits of social media for their brand, there's that similar... Resistance to community that you can choose where you're going to be on the bell curve. If you're going to be an early adopter, if you're going to see your peers create communities before you and realize the value of the communities before you, or if you're going to be at the tail end of that. And if you get into this early, you can be the industry leader, you can be the person that has the events, you can be the person that um, you can be the community that other people go to that they want to try to connect with the people that are in your community but that starts at the beginning. So it's I think it takes a visionary. I think it takes a person who is future focused and realizes that we are evolving faster and faster and faster and the world is changing faster and faster and faster and now's the time to start a community because you'll see the benefits of it and your peers will not have started yet. And so you'll become the industry leader. If you think about Salesforce, that's what they did. They saw people commenting on the forums and they built the community. And now they've largely achieved a lot of success because of their community and because of their MVPs. And they're not paying people in their community to show up and contribute. People are doing it because they believe in the product and they're wearing the merchandise and they're going to the events and they are telling everybody that they know about Salesforce because they feel like they are part of that community. It's more than a brand to them. It's a lifestyle and you can be the next Salesforce in your industry. If you start now, later, it will be a little bit harder because there will be more competition.
0: Uh, Again, can't remember um, which Chinese philosopher, um, but uh, was the mark of a mature society that men plant trees that they know they will never sit under the shade of. Um, And I think it really does make a good deal of sense to start thinking like that because the short-term economic cycles um, are incredibly detrimental. They create an unnecessary pressure. It creates the conditions where people think short-term and transactional. And as a result, businesses are leaving... Millions and millions and millions of dollars on the table. This has been really fascinating, Rebecca. Thank you. Tell me this you've got a golden ticket and you're going back to your 21 year old self. What would you whisper in Rebecca's ear that you know the idiot 21 year old would have ignored?
1: I would tell her you don't have to know what you want to do now. You don't have to be an expert at anything right now. No one will be able to anticipate what is going to happen in the next 10, 20 years of your life. Things will happen, like technology will pop up that is unimaginable right now. So all you need to do is follow what intrinsically motivates you because you'll gather skills along the way that you'll be able to link together later in a way that is unimaginable now. So just start now, start following what intrinsically motivates you now.
0: So when did you realize that that's what you should do?
1: I think I'm still realizing that that's what I should do. But I think that there's a quote, it might be Steve Jobs, that you can connect the dots looking backward in a way that you can't connect the dots looking forward. Right. Bad, bad. <laughs> bad
0: uh, well, I, I, I get the, the, the paraphrase. That's cool. Okay, very interesting. What would you recommend people should read, watch, listen to?
1: I am very into currently, on a personal level, an author named Martha Beck. She has been a real inspiration to me. Sangrin Barhe is a very inspirational person to me as well. And there's also a book called Radical Candor that I think could really benefit a lot of people in their businesses as well.
0: Which reminds me, I need to ask her back on the podcast. She was just launching... Another book at the time, or writing another book at the time. Thank you for the reminder. There. Okay. Um, how can people get hold of you?
1: I'm much more active on LinkedIn these days, but my name is hard to spell. It's Rebecca, R E B E C C A, Tassitano, T like Tom, A, S like Sam, T like Tom, A, N like Nancy, O. My business is called Project Kickass, so you can find us on LinkedIn, or you can go to pkasolves.com. That's Project Kickass, P K A solves.com.
0: Excellent. Rebecca Tassitano, thank you. Thank you. So this is Marcus Kauke signing off once again from the Inquisitor podcast. If you found this useful and insightful, then please do get in touch with Rebecca or myself. If you've got questions, get in touch. Now, if you want to get hold of me, Marcus at last And if you're looking for a coach, who's going to be a coach, a mentor, a trainer, and a not give you any quarter uh, when you're making excuses or whining and looking for someone who will always have your back and tell you the truth even when you don't want to hear it, then get in touch. In the meantime, stay safe and happy selling. Bye-bye.